0: Hey everyone, my name is Josh Proctor and this is the Life on Side B podcast. On this podcast, we are going to discuss, as the name pretty much clearly states, what life as Side B LGBT Christians is really like. For those of you who don't know, Side B is a term used to refer to Christians who are LGBT, attracted to the same sex, or have gender dysphoria, yet hold a traditional view of sexuality and marriage, and therefore live according to that view. Every episode, I will be talking with different Side B Christians about different aspects of their life, faith, and experiences. My goal with this podcast is to show that being Side B is not this depressing life of self-hatred and loneliness, but rather it can be pretty dang beautiful and amazing. Now, every season we will be focusing on a different theme of sexuality and faith issues related to the lives of Side B Christians. This season though, I am really excited because we are going to be looking at different ways Side B Christians live out their sexuality and find intimacy and community. I hope that through this season, you will be able to see that there are so many different ways that side B Christians can live with joy within their faith. Today, we're going to be talking with Meg Botts, who is a dear friend of mine on her experience in communal living. We talked over zoom together, so the audio quality at times may not be perfect. So if you got a problem with it, sorry, we do our best. But I still want to encourage you to hear everything Meg has to say, because it is really impactful and we can all learn a thing or two. And I know I did. So with that, let's head into today's episode. All right. Well, I am so excited to be here with my amazing friend and co-worker, Meg Botts Thank you so much for joining me with this.
1: Thanks, Josh. Hi, everybody. It is an honor to be on the pilot episode of Life on Side B.
0: Yes, so we are going to get through this together, and we are going to make some <laughs> many mistakes. First of all, I know we've. I feel so bad asking this even now have i been pronouncing your last name correctly yes
1: yes i <laughs> yes? tell people it's bots like robots
0: bot i love that oh my gosh yes you're speaking my language <laughs> um so Megbots, just to give you guys for those of you who don't know her which if you don't you need to. Meg Botts is the director of communications and creativity and creative design at Lead Them Home, a ministry equipping the church to enhance care for LGBT people. She lives in Denver, Colorado with her spiritual family and co-leads a small group uh, through her local church. So Meg and I know each other because actually we both work with Lead Them Home. And it's how I first got to meet her. Actually, I met you at the first posture shift um, yeah. Training I went to.
1: Yeah, we had a two day training in Boston.
0: I know. Yes. Well, Meg is here with us today because the focus for this first season of the podcast is ways of living outside B, especially related to the issues of community and belonging. And so I'm so excited that Meg is here to talk about her her the community that she, uh, you're part of. Mm -hmm. And so I guess to first start off, actually, before we really get into the community, first thing that I kind of want to ask, and I kind of want to ask this to every person that comes on, regardless of what we're talking about, is first of all, how do you identify and kind of what, how would you define side B? Or how do you see the intersection between living out your faith and your sexuality? I know that's a really deep question. Yeah,
1: (laughs) no, that's good. Uh, I'll start with the how do I identify piece. I'm someone who kind of holds labels loosely. I feel like I interact with a really wide variety of groups with different levels of awareness or nuance on the LGBT conversation. So I've kind of just had to hold labels loosely. I also come from a place where I don't really have a lot of baggage with any particular label. I know some people, their particular faith journey, identifying as LGBT might, be something that they don't feel comfortable with doing because they associate it with maybe their life before Christ. There might also be someone who wouldn't identify as same sex attracted because they have some kind of baggage with that from ex gay movement kind of stuff. I don't really have either of those. And so a lot of times when I'm talking about my sexuality, I'll just say I'm someone who's attracted to the same gender. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I might start using terms like gay or queer, LGBT, um, within that context. Sometimes I'll also use same gender attracted. I think it's just kind of a safe term where you hear it and it already is kind of descriptive of what it means and there's not the same baggage, I guess, as same sex attracted might have. Mm-hmm.
0: Awesome. So kind of with that, then, I guess kind of talking about terminology, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, as we're talking about terminology, I hear different phrases used regarding communal living or intentional community and stuff like that. So I would say related to the community that you're part of, first of all, I would like to ask what normal terminology do you use to describe it? And also, what, how would you define the type of community which you are part of, if that makes sense?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think my view of the community I live in is similar to LGBT labels. I don't have a specific Label, but there are like our language is important, and having phrases to identify things is important. So Mm -hmm. it's something I've kind of gone back and forth with, and I feel like and I'm hoping it's actually going to be something that we see more and more often. So I think the language is going to start taking shape, but for Mm -hmm. now, I'm kind of playing around with um, some different options. So I've heard intentional community, I think that can sometimes have this connotation of very like, oh, we have a certain time that we all up together and we pray together and do devotions and, eat mm-hmm. and we share every meal. My community isn't necessarily like that. I think there are some like that that are really powerful. But as far as the household I'm in, we don't have a whole lot of structure. Uh, we are kind of on our own for meals. We all have uh, different jobs or are raising kids. So our schedules are someone all over the place. But that said, that doesn't mean there's not intention. Uh, we have we all have this commitment to living in community and to just kind of being in each other's lives. So it usually happens that when we have opportunities to be around each other, we'll like eat meals together or watch movies or play games together. And it may be like many weeks that we've all been traveling or doing all these things, and then we'll come together and just like hang out. And then the other part of the intention is we all have this, this common bond under christ that we are following christ together and we see our community together not just as we're paying rent we're paying rent to live under the same roof but that we're all seeking this together and that being together actually helps us to pursue christ so intentional community i think it could fit i like community living i think again there's not a lot of weird connotations of that. Co-living, Christian co-living, I think is cool. Co-living is actually a term for rising trend in non-Christian circles, uh, both for economic or practical reasons, but also because there's just a lot of young professionals or millennials lately who are lonely and are just starting to live together in yeah. in certain types of housing where they sure, a kitchen or something, and there could be families and singles that live together. Co-living sounds really trendy, so I kind of like it. It's not actually trendy because it's it's actually just this ancient concept of living together, which we've been doing since the beginning of time.
0: I think that's really Um, one of the funniest things about this whole, I love this whole entire concept of like having this community that you live together as someone who's lived outside of the United States. I think it's really funny that we think it's this trendy new idea that we've come up with in the United States. And really, (laughs) if you go to any other country, they're like, we've been doing this for thousands of years. That's just how
1: they do it. Everyone's (laughs) like, why are Americans so alone? Like, why are you guys all living by (laughs) yourselves? Why is there so much pressure to move away from your families? Yeah. Um, So I think like, maybe this is a secular world thing, but the idea of rebranding it and being like, wow, this is so cool. Mm -hmm. um, It gets people to consider it in a new way. And I think there can be, we can be critical about that. But I also, I think it's cool. Like, I think a lot of Christianity in general is taking ancient concepts and seeing ways to make them new and just being creative about them. So Mm -hmm. that's something I like about this concept. And like, man, I'd love to see almost this like revival of living in community where we're excited about it. And I think oh, yeah. that energy could even have implications on our society with so many mm-hmm. broken families. Like what if community living could help with parents who are single parents or kids who have like unstable home lives? There's there's a lot of possibilities and opportunities here.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, it's really funny because I was actually just talking to a psychiatrist earlier today about how, you know, in the United States, we have this epidemic of loneliness because, like you said, we have this idea that everyone has to move out of their house. Everyone has to buy their own home and, and be separate and maybe come together every so often, but you're supposed to have your own space. We We cherish that individuality but yeah. for the forsaking of community. Going back to yours, so can you explain kind of how you found your community or, or if you were one of the original people that came to bring it together, how did you create it?
1: Yeah, my community that I'm living in right now is a total godsend. I was living in Boston. I had actually moved up there from the Denver area to work full-time for Lead Them Home. And I'd been living there a couple of years and kind of got the opportunity to, to move back closer to family and still work remotely for Lead Them Home. And I kind of went back and forth for probably about eight months. Like, is this, is Boston a fit for me? Will this stick? And eventually I'd just been on the fence for so long that I was like, I need to make a decision. Decided to move back. It's cool because I think God used this as an opportunity to be like, okay, you're making this move. It's really big. And this could be this Thing where you see all these needs like oh my gosh uh where am i gonna live what's gonna happen or you can see it as this opportunity um to really be intentional and so he really gave me the eyes to see it as this opportunity like okay i have so much freedom with what my living can look like and so what am i gonna do with that while i was in boston one of my biggest regrets is i didn't really invest locally most of my closest friends were in different states. And so there was always this wishing we could be together, but not being together. And I actually had kind of a a conviction about that that's not the best way to go, I guess, like having long distance relationships is awesome because of technology. Nowadays, uh, that's more possible than ever. And sometimes even having people removed from your day to day situations to speak into your life is awesome. But Uh, at that point, I really did need more local community, and I was not being intentional with that. So the way that I phrased my attitude then was like a practical Gnosticism. So Gnosticism is this kind of like heretical theological belief that our bodies and spirits are separate, right? That like, what I do with my body doesn't really affect my spirit, so I can do whatever I want with it. Um, In the context of what I'm talking about, though, is more like God has given me a spirit and he's also given me geographic limitations. And I think there's ways that we can try to go beyond the limits God's given us and say that I can be a spiritually whole person without having anyone locally that's nearby. There's a book called The Art of Neighboring that I read recently. And the author is basically just challenging people like what if when Jesus gave the command to love your neighbor that he meant love your actual neighbor Mm. like I think so often because our communities can be so digital or so like artificial I guess uh we can tend to do more to choose our neighbor than to love our neighbor and I think a lot of times God is calling us like hey who's actually around you who's in your community and maybe there's some meaning behind that So anyway, I was, I'd been praying about this. And, uh, even when I was praying through where to live, there was, there's just this, like, okay, wherever, wherever I do decide to live, kind of like that Jim Elliott quote, that's like, wherever you are, be all there. Like Mm -hmm. if I'm going to stay here, I really need to invest more in the people who are directly around me, uh, whether that's my local church or my neighbors or, uh, Christians that I know who are nearby. But if I move back to Denver, which was basically the other option I was considering. If I move back, then I need to really invest there. And um, so I was thinking, I really want to be a part of a local church. I want to be around people who go to my church. I want to get to know my actual neighbors in my neighborhood. And so I, I kind of moved back with that vision And then I just had uh, whatever opportunities were available. So for a while, like, most of the opportunities were the typical young professional, like, group of roommates uh, focused on their careers, but that just happened to be living together. And I looked at a few of those options while I was also looking for a church. And uh, one of the churches I was considering had this, like, community forum. And I met with one of the staff members, signed up for this forum, and the first email that I got was titled, Unique Community Living Opportunity. And uh, so I I looked into it. I'm usually just really skeptical, really. I take my time making decisions, so I wasn't like, oh my gosh, this is it. But as I started to get to know the family more and ask questions, um, everything just started to, to fit together. I had talked to the woman who is, she's the wife and mom in the family that I live with. And I was telling her about my vision for family and she was like, oh my gosh, we've never actually met someone who has the same vision that we have. Mm. So there's automatically that that shared vision for pursuing Christ together in community. I'm also not someone who has like really heightened like spiritual senses or whatever. I wish I, I was, but I usually am not. But the first time I visited this house and walked through the door, I just had this sense of this is your home. Like, this, mm-hmm. is, this is where you belong. So after I asked all the logistical questions I could ask, I ran out of questions. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to kind of try this. And another important part of this is as I was making this decision to move back to Denver, I was reading Nate Collins' book, All But Invisible, uh, which Shout is about,
0: out to Nate. Hello. Yes, yeah. yeah, and that
1: was actually a, a really big part of me considering this. There's a section in his book that talks about different vocations of celibacy, and one is single celibacy, which is what we usually think of with celibacy. Like you're living on your own, uh, you're not really um, committed to any one person or group of people per se. There's like the idea of celibate partnerships or celibate friendships, which can sometimes be a little bit more controversial or people yeah. are more hesitant there, mm-hmm. but that is an option to consider. And then there's also what he called communal celibacy.
0: Ooh, that's a term for it. Yeah. Celibacy. Yeah. I have to admit, yeah. I still haven't finished Nate's book, but what I've read of it is <laughs> amazing. Uh, yeah. I like that communal celibacy. All the same. Now that, but now that's the also interesting thing. Cause you'll have to tell me how, like, uh, like who is in your community, but the interesting thing of your community is that it's made up of both single and married couples.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we, when I first moved in, we had a married couple, they had two young boys and then there was, um, one of their longtime friends who was single and he had kind of started dating someone as I, had lived with them for a few months and then there's another woman who's a couple years younger than me and she's actually the niece of the wife but they're they're fairly close in age mm-hmm. um so they all that's like kind of how they started living together they all either were related or just long-time friends and I was yeah. kind of the noob <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah communal celibacy like the term itself can can give the sense that everyone in the community is celibate, which could be the case. That is not yeah. option. I've also heard the term communal living, which mm-hmm. I think makes yes. sense. But yes. the word communal also can be like, it somewhat reminds me of a commune. So, <laughs> <laughs> I Well, just, hey,
0: like, yeah. Yeah, but I totally get what you mean about communal celibacy, which I think is really a huge point, especially being side B, because I think a lot of times when we as side B LGBT people, and -hmm. we're considering what it means to live out like, okay, this is my belief and my conviction on sexuality, on marriage. And normally our our mind automatically goes to, I'm going to be alone forever.
1: Yes. And And, speaking of all these language connotations, celibacy, that's what people think. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to have sex. I'm always going to be by myself. I'm going to be like this old cat lady <laughs> away my sexual frustrations yeah and that's another thing that i believe about language is that it's one of many things in our culture that can either lean towards decay or be redeemed yes. and i'd like to see the word celibacy redeemed yes see this word that's all about exclusion what you can't do mm-hmm. but the things that you are positively and actively pursuing
0: Absolutely. I even
1: have this joke that I want to redeem the word spinster, which is an outdated term for like a woman who never gets married, which is (laughs) the nightmare of like every 1800s woman or whatever. But it kind of sounds like hipster. I think it's kind of like if it didn't have that connotation to it, it could be a really cool word.
0: I could totally see that word being renewed. Like, yes, I am. Because it almost—it sounds so much like hipster. I could just see it just becoming like, yes, I am a spinster. And what? Like, oh my gosh, that is so awesome. Spinster goals. That is awesome. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I didn't choose the spinster life. Actually, (laughs) oh wait, I did. I
0: did choose it. It shows me. (laughs) Well, I think it also kind of like what you were talking about is I I, can't, I I think it was Nate Collins who one time said it. And I'll, if I find that I'm wrong, I'll, I'll, I will correct it. But I love how he said, like, the thing that we need to do is find the, the church, the conservative church, has been so good at finding the no for LGBT people. Yeah. No, you can't do this. No, you can't do that. No, you. And that's not even, mm-hmm. honestly, just LGBT people. We're so good at, at telling people what they can't do. And yeah, I think especially in the realm of sexuality. No. Yes. Frame it negatively,
1: exactly. like, okay, kids, we're going to learn about sex. Here's all the bad things. Here's
0: all the bad things that you do. can't do.
1: Yeah. And in reality, like, sex is a gift from God. And if we can frame it positively and share that vision of, here's all that it can be and should be and that god made it to be and that's beautiful and to in order to celebrate that we also need to look at what is the best context for that and i'd like to see celibacy like that too it's not like oh here's all the things you can't do but like here's the beauty of singleness and celibacy and here's like jesus lived this life and look how abundant and significant and god honoring that life was yeah and then Absolutely. we can look at the limits of that through the framework of the beauty of what that yeah. looks like.
0: Well, yeah, and I think that's like a great transition into because I also wanted to get your thoughts on how do you see the Bible connecting to your view on communal living? Because obviously, yes, you know, the Bible loves to talk about communal living, but I would just love to hear about mm. how, that, how yeah. that has played a part in your whole thing.
1: I love that question. Let's see. I think... For When it comes to, especially like LGBT sexuality, a lot of people, they're like, oh, the only time the Bible mentions that is these like six verses or whatever. Mm -hmm. And when I look at my views on sexuality, I don't, I was never really super influenced by those six verses. I know people have a lot of opinions about them, but when I formed my own views about sexuality, it was always more about this greater narrative in the scriptures Mm -hmm. about I guess starting in Genesis where there's this God who exists as Trinity and there's these three persons of the Trinity. They are perfectly unified as God, but they're also intrinsically different and their love produces life in other people. And there's this openness and there's this creativity and this opportunity and possibility. And from that image, stems humankind. And so there's male and female and they're different, but they're also the same in a way that like no other animal was the same as Adam. Eve was this person who was just like Adam but mm-hmm. but also different in a beautiful way. And so anyway, in the Old Testament I see a very biological representation of the Trinity. And I won't get super deep into, like, theology, the body, or things like that, but uh, I guess what I want to point out about the Old Testament is that God's promise tends to be passed down through biological family. So you Mm -hmm. have the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and there's this lineage, and there's this biological, like, fulfilling of the commission mandate to be fruitful and multiply, right? Mm -hmm. So that happens for just hundreds and hundreds of years, and then Jesus comes, and he was born into this biological lineage where there was this promise that was passed down through this people, through this family that became a tribe, that became a nation, that was set apart, and they were unique because of this biological thing, but when Jesus came, he had this totally different idea of family. You know, Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And I think in, in a very real way, that was also what he did with family. So Jesus didn't get married. He didn't have kids. He was also the guy who people would say, hey, Jesus, your mother and brothers are here. And he would be like, my mother and brothers are the people who do the will of God.
0: Oh my gosh, that Uh, passage, like when I read that passage, but like really read it, that was honestly one of the biggest ones that changed like my own personal.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's revolutionary. And like everything Jesus did was revolutionary and also prophesied. So it wasn't, it shouldn't have been new. It was new and it's cool that it's new. But so he didn't, he didn't have this biological family and it's not that Jesus saying, oh, family's bad. Marriage is bad. We should all just be single because marriage is bad. Because like, no, marriage was the first human relationship and it yeah. existed before the fall. And it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But he's also saying with his life, there's something more here. And I'm not going to abolish biological family, but there's something even greater than that. Mm-hmm. And that is the kingdom of God and the family of God. And when you when you look at the sociological implications of that, there was this there were the Israelites and then there was like well there were there were the Jews and then there were everyone else, right? And there's this huge separation and the Jews were this amazing set apart people group with this really unique culture and traditions and they were seen as very clean and there were the Gentiles who were this heathen group of people that were separate. And the work that Jesus did on the cross was basically to say my salvation is for everyone. My family is for everyone. And this spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, that is something that whether you're like biologically in God's family, being descended from these patriarchs, or whether you've been adopted in, you're his family. So the cross is really unique too, because what, what God the Father did is he saw, he took his own begotten son which in our in our understanding would almost be like a biological son and he traded this son for adopted sons and daughters and he was basically saying i'm i'm almost going to forsake this directly begotten thing so that i can adopt you into my family in a real way and so in looking at the new testament it's not that god's promise is brought through biological family but it's actually propagated through spiritual family, mm. and at, before Jesus descends into heaven, he has this kind of last will and testament, and he says, you know, go as you go, make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So in that commission, it's a similar commission to that original Genesis commission mandate of be fruitful and multiply, and there's still this representation of the trinity uh in baptism and yet the the multiplication that he's asking for is actually a spiritual multiplication so with all that said (laughs) i know that i know that was a lot but
0: um i love it preach
1: so when we when i look at this i'm like okay jesus did this amazing radical thing and we look at community and we're like okay like the early church and then the church and now the modern church. And we have a lot of this programming and we talk about like doing life together, but we're still really, really focused on biological family. Yeah. And people who are single people who are LGBT people who have been divorced, people who are single parents, orphans, uh, kids in the foster system, we we talk about wanting to care for them, but our the structure of our church family is still very nuclear. And yeah. I think if we had oh, a vision sure. and an imagination to look beyond that and say, you know what, like spiritual family is where it's at. And like, uh, almost like water is thicker than blood mm. in the family of God. Like spiritual mm. family is like, even can transcend biological family. I think if yeah. we, just be creative about that and seek what god could do there with possibilities it could just totally change the way that the church is a witness to a lonely world
0: yeah i I, that is i totally agree you know i it's funny when i started my studies in biblical studies one of the things that revolutionized the way i read the bible was when i realized learning hebrew and greek that a majority of the you's in in Hebrew and Greek, like when it's talking about like, do this, you are a kingdom of priests, you are children of God. All mm-hmm. of those you's are plural. They're mm-hmm. y'alls. And I actually have a yeah. friend who wanted to translate the Bible using y'all <laughs> uh, every <laughs> time there's a plural you because we don't have one in 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 English, like other than Yeah, languages. we don't. Uh, you know Spanish has ustedes and, and all of these other languages vosotros have and, yeah vosotros and all of these different languages have different you plurals but English doesn't and it's caused this whole entire idea that when we say you are a, you are children of God we automatically take that in the individual way I am a child of God I I'm am a, a priest yeah I Jesus died for me when we realize that if you read like books like Ephesians the whole entire plan of reconciliation was the idea of creating a spiritual family. And so it's like, Mm -hmm. I think I totally love what you were saying about that. The issue with the church is we're still so focused on family, like biological family Mm -hmm. above spiritual family. And I think on top of that, the other side is we get so focused on individual growth opposed to communal yeah, growth yeah. like you focus on your growth i'm going to focus on my spiritual growth and because that's like that's our culture i'm going to focus on me you focus on you and we'll kind of come together mm-hmm. maybe for a bible study or for church uh when yeah. it's really about like if you see ephesians it's like jesus died to bring you all into one family like that's literally what paul says yeah uh i mean that's that's the summary version but he is literally saying that so i love that like Yes. Yes to Jesus. Cause he knew. Yes. Um, <laughs> that is so good. And I guess this is even a question for me because I will admit when I first started learning about, you know, communal living, I was really fascinated by the idea, idea. By mm-hmm. the way, talking about wording, I love, I, I can't remember who, I'm going to think of it later. I know I am, but someone is in a communal living situation and refers to their community as a, like a Protestant monastery. <laughs> Yeah. Or something. I've I joked remember. with
1: different friends and pastor friends about starting like a Protestant mon- monastery, <laughs> Protestant nunnery, <laughs> yes. like having some kind of food truck associated with it just to make it extra trendy. <laughs>
0: exactly. I'm like, I, I can totally see that happening. And I guess, you know, with people like me who are fascinated by the idea, I don't have a communal, like, well, I'm, let me backtrack. I'm very blessed that I have a very, very close community in my area because that's I live in a very small town in Florida. Mm-hmm. But for those, the idea is just that for those of us who are interested in communal living, what would be your recommendations for those who like kind of want to find one or want yeah. to be in that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think where I want to start is just to say community living isn't going to solve all your problems. It's difficult. It's something that it grows over time. Like when I first moved in, I had a really hard time. I was trying to fit in. I didn't know if people would like me. And I think especially with sexuality, I was like, "Are people going to accept me here? Are they going to think that I'm really weird or like extra sinful or whatever?" And they they ended up being awesome about it, but. Um, i 'll just say, I think a lot of times we can look to marriage and be like, Yes, marriage is it, like once i 'm married, I will have arrived, or like once i once I finally have kids, everything will be great i'll i 'll have all of my relational needs i 'll have this family around me, and as we know, marriage and family are so good and they 're a gift from God, and they they have such a redemptive opportunity to them but we also know so much so much of the world's brokenness and hurt and pain also often stems from that a lot of us have baggage from our families growing up Uh, a lot of us have had a lot of struggles in romantic relationships or things like that and I I think the same is true for community living. So mm-hmm. it's not that, oh my gosh, everyone should do this and just jump into it and it's all going to be great. But what I do want to say about community living is, it's this beautiful option. And if you can do it well, then it can be a beautiful thing.
0: Well, then actually, let's, exp- if we can't, before we get to the recommendations on finding it, actually, sure. that's a really good point is what would you say are the biggest challenges That you've come across in communal living, as well as like the benefits, like the greatest benefits you've found.
1: Yeah. So I am a really intense introvert. (laughs) Yeah. Which you may not guess. I try to be a high functioning (laughs) introvert and be around a lot of people, but I need time to myself. I need a lot of time to process. I need to be alone. I need time to read or write or else I just don't feel like myself and I like forget Mm -hmm. who I am. It's really bad. And I think like, most people that I meet are not like, oh, yeah, I'm so excited about this topic of communal celibacy. It's more like, I don't think I could do that. Like, there's all these hang-ups about it, and some people are like, oh, I just really need my space, or I don't like being around people, or, like, ew, I don't want to be around children, or whatever, (laughs) Um, which I understand all those. Like, I, being an introvert, it's sometimes hard sharing space with people or finding, like, a place to just be, whether it's being alone like with myself or like in the presence of God, that space can be hard to find. Another big thing about living in community is there's conflict. And I think anytime you bring broken people together in any kind of close way, there's going to be conflict. So I don't think there's really a way to avoid it unless you avoid being close to people. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, so when you're close to people in community, just like if you were partnered with someone or married or even just living with roommates, there's going to be conflict. I think, can,
0: there's um, always going to be conflict.
1: Exactly, yeah. So I think, yeah, learn to be someone yourself who who can have those crucial conversations, who knows how to handle conflict. I don't think you necessarily have to be someone who likes conflict because usually <laughs> liking conflict, yeah. like, probably there's something else wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but I think it's easier to be passive aggressive or to be like, oh, I'm just gonna like pretend I don't care that, I don't know, this person didn't do their dishes or whatever. It's always about dishes, right? In the house. Yes. <laughs> um,
0: I don't know why, like I lived in a, I, I lived in a house in Orlando for a while and it's so funny how the kitchen can be such a communal place, yet it can be such the stir of so many conflicts.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like if you're if you're concerned about how your community's doing, like check the status of your kitchen. Oh my
0: gosh. That is such <laughs> that is a good, a good evaluate, point.
1: Like, how do you handle conflict in the kitchen? And mm. if you can handle that well, like See if you can apply that to other places.
0: Yes. Yeah. That is, that's a really good point. I love that. So I think that, I think that works with pretty much any living situation. Like you said, any living situation, living with family, living with a partner, living with Mm -hmm. just roommates, like that, that connects with everyone. So. Uh, is a really good point yeah so then with that then for the people who are interested what would be your recommendations for people who are interested in communal living
1: yeah honestly I think it's difficult to direct people because right now I don't think necessarily a lot of people do have a vision for community and Mm -hmm. like anything you can't do it just by yourself even if you have a vision for it it might be hard to find other people who have a vision for it also, I think like, especially for a lot of celibate people I know, like we either want to be really, really committed, or we want to settle down, or we want to find like the people we'll be with forever, or like the people we're gonna lay our lives down for for like yes. the rest of our lives. And I'd just say go into it with open expectations and accepting other people where they are if their expectations are different. I'd I would first say like start in, in prayer, Um, start with like giving your desires to God and saying, Hey God, here's where I'm at. Uh, Here's what I'm looking for. And if possible, like, and if this is what you'd have for me, please bring other people into my life and just be, be open to who he might bring into your life and what opportunities he might have for you. I think a lot of times with with LGBT, like, side B people, t- too, there tends to be this, like, oh, all the other LGBT people understand me, but no street mm-hmm. people un- understand me, and especially not married people or people with kids. And I would say, uh, I'd bring that to God, too. Like, there's a lot of married people or people with kids or whatever who, like, don't get it, but there's a lot of people who do. And yeah. I think if we're gonna see community uh, become... This thing in the Christian church, we need to like we need to give people the inclusion that we have been wanting all along too. Like we we need to say, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to believe that God can actually move in the hearts of straight people, yes, <laughs> um, despite their heterosexuality, <laughs> 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 and yeah. that like the Holy Spirit is working in all of us, and like for for people who are really seeking Him out if he's bringing something together for you in terms of a community, he's going to bring it together. So be open to not just community with other LGBT people, even though that might be an option, but also consider straight people.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, well, I think that's a good point. Cause I mean, obviously I'm speaking as a person who, I mean, I've lived with roommates, but I, you know, and I've, I've been in multiple different living situations, but I, I wouldn't necessarily call any of my situations like communal living beyond like biological family and, mm-hmm. and my adopted family in Colombia. Yeah. But I think it is interesting that the people who I have talked to who are in communal living situations, especially side B people, it's really fascinating how many, like it began by either finding like a couple or someone who just had like an empty room. Yeah, And it was just like, I don't want to live by myself. I want to live with someone. And so through their church, they yeah. found someone that had an empty room. And they just all started living together. And then it just turned into yeah. a community.
1: And yeah, that's often what happens. You might yeah. have that vision at first. The family I, I had, the couple had kind of an existing vision for community. Yeah. Not, yeah, not all of the housemates necessarily had that. But even without knowing it, we also got to experience the beauty of that just through it happening. Yeah,
0: exactly. Just organically. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I love that. That is awesome. So with that, you know, the other fun thing, the workshops for Revoice are now officially up lately. So people can now see that you're going to be presenting a workshop. That's right. So what's the name of your workshop? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I don't remember all of it. It's kind of long, but it's called Gay Girl Full House. Yes! It's like, living in Christian community as a non-straight person.
0: That is an awesome. How are How are preparations? Are you excited?
1: I'm really excited, yeah. <gasps> um, just, I think, talking to a lot of people, like, I've been talking to people lately about living in community and even just talking about it on this podcast is, like, getting me really excited for yeah. this- uh, there's a lot we're going to be exploring both like theologically, we're going to go into a lot of practical things. Like what are, what are qualities we should be looking for or trying to create in our communities? Um, yeah, it's going to be really good. And Revoice also it's, it's for LGBT people, but it's also for their families, friends, Absolutely. pastors they have different tracks for all, all those different people groups. So even if you're not an LGBT person, uh, please consider coming if yes. you're if you are an lgbt person like please consider bringing any family or friends who might be open to learning more about this topic
0: yeah that's a really good point because there's so many people that go and are not lgbt but they they learn so much there's so many opportunities
1: mm-hmm.
0: to if you're a person you may not even know lgbt people yeah um but you just want to learn about the topic like i've met so many straight people and that are just like I want to know how to be more loving. Mm -hmm. And things like that are great. Those are great opportunities. And And I think
1: there's a diversity in the conference too. Like you may not necessarily agree with absolutely everything that they have to say, but hopefully this will get you, get your gears turning about what, what does it look like to, to love this people group? And honor God in the way that mm-hmm.
0: I do that. And and that's actually a really good point. And that brings me also to something that I want to share with everyone, even about this podcast. Um, because over the next episodes for this season, uh, we're going to be talking with a lot of different people from a lot of different perspectives. All of them are side B, but there's multiple things that every single person sees differently or disagrees on or has come to a different way within the traditional perspective of marriage of being able to live that out. And so I think that, even in the workshops of revoice or, or on this on this podcast or just the people we interact with, it's really good to just to be able to hear and, and learn and, and hear people's uh experiences even if you just necessarily may not agree personally for mm-hmm. your own life or or just in general so that's really good and so I'm really excited about that. Also, uh, also Lead Them Home, the ministry that uh, Meg and I are part of are, is also going to be doing too, well a pre-conference and a workshop, which is great, and we're excited about that as well. But I can't wait. So uh, if any of you guys are listening, if you really want to learn more about this and you want to hear more from Meg... Then, first of all, you need to come to Revoice because not only will you be able to hear her in a workshop, you'll probably be able to meet her. Uh, you'll just have to let her ha- since she's an introvert. You might have to let her have her <laughs> yes. personal time. You
1: might have to chase me down <laughs> yeah. or like let me go take a nap. I know,
0: <laughs> but I think that was one of the funniest things. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. I don't know if I've ever brought this up to you. I am I am normally what I call tell people like an introvert extrovert. Like I am that very extrovert. Improv- oh I like that what did you say
1: ambivert
0: ambivert yeah oh I have a
1: family member who's an ambivert uh. like she she recharges from being around people but she also like needs alone time
0: yes that is me and so people get surprised by that but then I also remember when we first started interacting in person because you're such an introvert I was like does she not like me <laughs>
1: Which Which I love you. It's really, really hard for me to not like someone.
0: Oh yeah, no, that I have learned that. But yeah, everyone, please come to Revoice if you want to learn more about this topic. She's going to be doing an amazing workshop, and which I am excited for. Well, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you were on the first episode. We're going to look back at this. We are so going to look back at this when life on side B has 10 million followers, which I'm sure is going to happen in the next year or two. Absolutely. We're going to go back and look at, do you remember that first episode? We killed it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or I'll be like, that was awesome. But then I said this one thing that I will regret forever. (laughs) I know.
0: (laughs) And it's all on tape.
1: Yeah.
0: Yes, exactly. And uh, so I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank Meg for being on here and, and spending this time. Also, again, if you want to learn more also about communal living, uh, in our next episode, we are actually going to continue the conversation on this topic with my amazing friend, Melinda. And I can't wait. So be listening for the next episode and we'll talk to you soon. Well, thanks everyone for listening. I hope you really enjoyed it. Keep an eye out for our next episodes coming up. And also, if you like this song, it is called Driven to Success by Scott Holmes. See you next time.